Father, that is our prayer this morning. We give thanks to you. Lord, in our weakness, we are grateful for the strength we have in you. In our poverty, we are thankful for the riches that we have in you. And Lord, it's out of a heart of gratitude that we approach your word today. So thankful for the truth you've given to us. And Lord, I pray that you would put us in a position again to be transformed by your truth. We ask these things in the powerful name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. It was a couple years ago, I was on a winter camping trip with my family, and we had been out in the cold for a few days, and I could quickly see that if I didn't find a way to warm my family's gloves and mittens, we were going to cease to be having fun on this vacation. So I grabbed the gloves and the mittens and I walked over to the truck and the truck was covered with ice and snow and I turned on the truck and I cranked up the heat and I had that heat blasting through the defroster up on that windshield and I just tossed the gloves up there on the dash to warm them up. What I saw before my eyes was not anything I could anticipate. We were at high altitude and this a lot amount of heat and plus the gloves compounding the heat there caused the windshield to have a tiny little crack just appear out of nowhere. It was one of those moments where you just think to yourself, really, really, like right now, that, that's what's supposed to happen. But I, I didn't stop the vacation. I didn't change our plans for that day. I just let the heat run and I took the gloves back to my family and we had a good rest of that time. As we got home, I saw that crack was still there, but I didn't do anything with it. I kind of ignored it. And and over time, this little crack began to grow. Centimeter by centimeter, inch by inch, it just began to spider across the windshield. I could see it every day that I would drive the truck, but but I chose not to do anything about it. And, And it wasn't too long, it wasn't too many weeks, to where what was just a fraction of an inch grew to be three, four, five, six inches, and now all the way across the width of the windshield. I have a close friend named Terry, and he was with me at the time, and we'd go out to lunch often, and he would ride in my truck with me, and and in Terry's former occupation, he was a police officer. He was in the military, and so he's got these great love for rules. And one of the things that Terry would love to do is inform me on the rules that I didn't really care about. He said, you know you're going to get a ticket for that windshield. And and you have to know, Terry, I love him, but every now and then I just kind of had a turn the volume down in my brain and just stop listening to him because he had a rule for everything. I thought, ticket for the windshield, whatever, that's not going to happen. Well, it wasn't but a few more weeks that I got pulled over. And if if you don't know me and my driving habits very much, for me to get pulled over by by the police is a pretty big feat because I, I don't know that I hardly ever speed. I drive so slow, it drives the rest of my family crazy. But it's happened to me a couple times. I got pulled over for driving too slow. Believe it or not, they'll do that. So the police officer walks up to my window and he's checking me out. I can tell he thinks that I'm intoxicated. He doesn't realize I'm just an old man driver in a younger body. And uh, he's checking me out, just kind of seeing what's going on. And, and once he assesses that I'm not intoxicated and that's not the threat, I see his eyes go to my windshield and Terry's voice came in my ears again. I did not leave the side of the road with a ticket for speeding, but I did leave the side of the road with a ticket for a cracked windshield. Now, as the police officer was writing that ticket and giving it to me, it crossed my mind, like, really? What's the harm in this? Why should I get a ticket? This is my windshield. It's a crack in my windshield. Why should this be of any concern to you? Now, I thought that. I didn't say that. What came out was, uh, officer, can you help me know um, how this is dangerous? (laughs) 
<laughs> I had a whole lot of other thoughts, but I didn't verbalize those. I just said, could you help me know how this is dangerous? And he said, oh, he said, I- I've seen it happen a number of times. Not only is the crack in the windshield, can it in- impede your vision, but it has weakened the structural integrity of the windshield. And-, and it wouldn't take too much to hit in the right place that that whole windshield could crack and come in on you. And it could, could lead you to cause a wreck, not only harming yourself, but others. At that moment, uh, I wish I'd listened to Terry, but now I've got to do something about this. So I call my insurance company to see what I'm supposed to do and, and giving them more details maybe than I had to, but I want to know the whole story. And they responded to me, well, Mr. Weishart, if, if you would have told us about this crack in the windshield when it was small, we could have sent a company out like Safe Light that would, would uh, put inject some kind of resin in there and it could save the windshield and it would be completely covered, no cost to you. I could tell some other news was coming after that. And they said, but... Since you've waited, here's the bill that you're going to have to pay. They could not save the windshield. They had to totally replace it. And and what started as a little crack left unattended led to a fracture. And, And as the police officer told me, fractures that are left unattended can lead to a catastrophic casualty. I want to share with you this morning about the crisis in families. We've been talking over the last couple of weeks about God's plan for family and how He created family because He's the author of family. He has not only the right but the authority to tell us what a family is and tell us what marriage is and the best way for marriage to take place and to talk to us about parenting and talk to us about honoring our mother and father. But today we are shifting gears from the abstract truth and those concrete com- uh, con- uh, concepts that, that are there for us but now into the nitty-gritty of what we do with them. I believe this little silly story that was true can speak to us about what we see going on in our families. Today I want to address the fractures in our families. Now you might say, Pastor Brady, I know about those. You've been talking about the fractured family and it's easy for me. I can identify relationship after relationship in my family where it is fractured. Friend, if that's you, this message is for you today. But I also have on my heart uh, another large group of people who I think are here today who say, fracture in the family. We're good. There's no problem. We love each other. We go to church together. There's no major crisis. And friend, I want to argue today that in every single family here, not only today, but for the rest of time, there will be, sometimes at no fault to you, a crack that will appear. The situation will present itself. The circumstances will happen in such a way that because of our sinful nature and the sinful world we live in, there will be a crack that shows up. Left unattended, it will lead to a fracture. Left unattended, it will spider, it will grow, it will be very costly. And left unattended even more, it can cause a catastrophic casualty. I want us to see that these tiny cracks can lead to something much bigger than we ever thought possible. So that's the crisis in our families. There's little things left unattended that lead to major problems. I want us to look at what causes this crisis. What is the conflict and and what is the cure for us? If we look at the conflict, we can begin to see that the Scripture is very clear on what causes this conflict. He uses two key thoughts. It's these two words, selfishness and sinfulness. 
It, it's really one concept because at its very essence, sin is selfishness. It's wanting my way, what I want, over what God wants, and, and I'm going to put my will above God's will. But, but these two thoughts of selfishness and sinfulness is the cause of the conflict that leads to these cracks and fractures in our life. It's the cause of conflict between a husband and a wife, between kids and their parents. It's the conflict between extended family. Conflict always boils down to selfishness and sinfulness of some kind. James 4, 1 and 2 in the Amplified Paraphrase says this, What leads to strife, discord, and feud? How do conflicts, quarrels, and fighting originate among you? They arise from your own selfish and sinful desires, that they are always at war inside of you. You are jealous and covet what others have. You burn with envy and anger and aren't able to obtain the gratification that you seek. So you fight and you war. You don't have because you don't ask God. If you get nothing else from the message today, I hope you catch this first key thought. It's this. Conflict often occurs between you and someone else because you expect them to meet a need in your life that only God is designed to meet. When you expect other people to meet those needs in your life, you expect your husband to meet those needs or your wife to meet those needs or your parents to meet those needs or your brothers and sisters to meet those needs or your extended family or for that matter, any other person that you have a relationship with, if you expect them to meet the needs that only God can meet, friend, you will be disappointed. You will be discouraged. You will be defeated. You will get bitter. The Bible says when we have unmet needs in our heart, it's it's our own selfish and sinfulness that causes us to get angry about it. There's a common myth that if I could just meet the right person, then my needs would be met. If I could just have the, the right situation in my family, then my needs could be met. But friend, Nothing could be further from the truth because there is no couple, there's no person, there's no family who is perfect without error. Because you are a sinner and everybody in your family is a sinner. Imperfect people cannot create a perfect relationship or a perfect family. We shouldn't be surprised by the little cracks that appear that need attention from us. The truth is, you're never going to meet anybody who can meet all of your needs. But when you expect people and unrealistically expect them to meet needs that only God can meet, you're heading for trouble that will lead to frustration, that will bring about anger, that will aggravate the situation, and the wedge will grow and grow and grow. Instead of looking to other people, God says, look to me. He says, you do not have because you do not ask me. You're looking to the wrong people. You're looking to them for your needs to be met. And God says, look to me. I want to remind us of where we've been over the last couple of weeks. We saw that when God created the family, when He created man and woman, when He created the the childbearing process, and He said, I want you to submit to me. This is the way I've set it up. When we looked at marriage a couple weeks ago, we saw that as the husband cares for the wife, loves the wife the way Christ loved the church, died for her, gave up his life for her, when the wife submits and follows the leadership of the husband the way the church loves Christ, it's a picture, not so much of who gets to crack the whip, but a picture of mutual submission, a picture of us honoring God and they're getting closer and closer together. 
You see, this all leads to something for a cure for these fractures in our life that we need to submit and surrender to something besides our own selfish, sinful desire. When I expect you to meet my needs the way I want them met, instead of looking to the one who can meet my needs, there will always be conflict. Well, what's the cure for the conflict? Scripture is clear. It's, it's reconciliation. 2 Corinthians five eighteen and 20 says this. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sin against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. In other words, this passage is telling us that our sin problem is cured by what Christ did on the cross. And because of the forgiveness that Christ gives to us on the cross, it, it makes the relationship right. It, it brings peace where there wasn't peace. It restores the relationship. And because we have been restored in relationship with God, he says, guess what? I want you to live in that reconciliation. And I want you to give that reconciliation. Because you have been forgiven much, I want you to forgive much. Because the relationship has been restored for you, I want you to be a people who restore relationships. We are to be ambassadors of Christ, people who seek reconciliation because that is what we have been given. As we look at the crisis of the family across our culture, this one disturbs me more than any because I believe the greatest challenge in the family, as bad as divorce is, as bad as the, uh, the attack on the definition of marriage in the family is, these are things that we should take serious. Friends, the root of them all is selfishness and sinfulness. And the only cure for this is the forgiveness in Jesus Christ. And while it does not make it right, it doesn't surprise me, while those who are in darkness... See, the light is foolishness. But God help us in the church. We are, we are to be people who walk in the light because we are children of the light. And therefore, we should have a ministry of reconciliation, especially with those who we live with, those who are our family, those who are, we are connected to in the relationship of family. So the cause of the conflict is selfishness and sinfulness. The cure is reconciliation. Now, reconciliation, don't let that word scare you it means to make peace those who were former enemies are now friends in other words it's restoring the relationship how do we how do we do that i want us to focus in today on not just the how but look at that this is the why and there's some specific action that god calls us to there's seven key thoughts or key steps that i want to share with you today they're not easy but they are very clear in scripture and we cannot try to skirt around any of them. I admit that this message may be tough for many of us because reconciliation deals with restoring relationships, ones that are messy, ones that are painful, often those that are very difficult. Then, then why should we do this? If it's so painful and difficult, why not let the broken relationships stay broken? Let's just let it go and, and not worry about it. Why try to reconcile with mom and dad or, or with our children or reconcile with our brothers and sisters or reconcile with our extended family? Why? Why not just put it out of our mind? Let me give you a thought that may give us some input on that. It's always more rewarding to restore a relationship than it is to resent that relationship for the rest of our life, always in every case. 
The attempt to restore relationship is always more rewarding than to choose to resent it for the rest of your life. That doesn't mean that you will be able to fix every single issue. I'm not suggesting today that that every single issue or problem will be resolved and, and, and cleared up, but you can restore a relationship or be in the process to seek restoration for that relationship. If you don't have reconciliation, every time that you think of that person, every time you think of that relationship, it will be like ripping off the scab of the wound again. It will never heal for you. Stuff that happened 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago or longer will be as if it just happened today. Right underneath the surface, it will affect every other relationship you have. The flip is true as well. The tiny little cracks that happened this morning, left unattended, will will lead to a fracture. Left unattended will get to the same place that it too will have a great cost, much higher than what we think. Today, we're going to be looking at God's call for us and reconciliation, but but next week, we're going to be seeing how God does the work of healing. I I want to prepare you and challenge you to pray and be expecting God as, as we cry out to God for healing for our families, for your family specifically, healing physically, healing emotionally, healing spiritually. There's a supernatural act that God wants to offer to us in healing for the fractured hearts of our families. You don't want to miss next week. It's going to be a different day. It's going to be a good day. But but we want to seek God's healing. But before I can seek the healing that God gives to my family, I need to understand what He calls me and you to be a part in reconciliation. Let's look at that together with the balance of our time. What is my role? What is your role in reconciliation? First is this, I must take the initiative to seek reconciliation. Matthew five twenty three and 24 says, If you are standing before the altar in the temple, giving an offering to God, and you suddenly remember someone has something against you, leave your offering there beside the altar. Go first and be reconciled to that person. Then come and offer your gift to God. In other words, don't ignore the crack right in front of you that will begin to splinter and shatter like a windshield that's breaking. Don't ignore the things that are not right. Go first and make it right. Seek reconciliation. Take the initiative. How many weeks do we enter into worship here together and and we give our praise to God, yet we know there is a fracture right in front of us and we have not sought to initiate reconciliation first? I'm not suggesting today that every time we come into worship that we have to have every single issue resolved. But friend, if the relationship is slammed shut, seek to have that opened. I'm not saying that we shouldn't follow authority, but I am saying whether you're an authority in that relationship or not, it's your job. Initiate reconciliation. But you don't understand, Pastor Brady. They, they have done this and it's gone too far. Or I've tried and it's not worth it. Or I've done too much. Or, or, or I've asked them and they don't respond. Friend, you take the initiative. That leads to the second thought for us. You and I must pursue reconciliation regardless of our expectations. When we think about the person whom our relationship is strained or broken with, we, we may consider reconciliation, but we think it's not going to work. I've tried that. It's too late. Too much has been done. Too much has been said. And, and we say it won't do any good. 
Because, see, we define good and reconciliation as everybody holding hands and kissing and making up and all the issues are gone. But, you see, when we don't get what we expect, we shut down and we give up. But God defines good differently in the process of reconciliation. He's not as focused on the goal of the end product as we are. God's goal for us is to stay constant, steady, forever in the process of reconciliation. You see, when we give up because we don't see what we expect, we miss the blessing of God transforming us through the process. Friend, hear me. As you initiate reconciliation, it may or may not be received by the other person. But as you pursue reconciliation, God has a blessing He wants to do in you and through you. There is a transformation that takes place. Don't let your expectation of what it should be to cause you to quit on seeking, taking the initiative for reconciliation. If you and I were only obedient and only had faith when the situation looked good, what kind of obedience and faith would that be? We're called in Scripture to continually forgive others because we have continually been forgiven. God has something bigger for us. This next thought for us in reconciliation, this third one, I I wanted to put it first, though I don't know that scripturally it is the first step that happens, but it's first of importance to me because I think we we try to skip this and and we wonder why reconciliation doesn't take place, but but we're not really honest with ourselves about this third one. It's the thought that you and I must confess our part, my part of the conflict. Don't start by initiating reconciliation by accusing. We want to start by rehearsing the past, going over and over, talking about the details. Start by attacking or blaming. Don't start with any of those. Instead, start with humility. Even if 90% is their fault, start by confessing the 10% that is your fault. Even if 99.9% is their fault, start by confessing the small percentage that you have responsibility in. Here's what I did. It was wrong. I've asked God to forgive me. I want you to forgive me. The truth is that none of us are perfect. So in any conflict, there's always an aspect where we can take the humility side and we can begin to have an attitude of confessing our part in the conflict. All of us have blind spots. We don't see what is happening because of the things that are blinding us. And and we find this in Matthew 7, verse 3 through 5. And why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you get rid of the speck in your eye when you can't see past the log that's in your own eye? Hypocrite! First get rid of the log in your own eye and then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. This is a scripture that we're very familiar with. In fact, it's one that a lot of people use as an excuse to to not seek reconciliation. Well, I'm not going to try to talk to them or try to help make this right because who am I? I don't want to be a hypocrite. I I can't speak about it. I don't want to be a hypocrite. That's not what the scripture says. It doesn't say, you know what? Get used to sawdust and planks in your eye. No, it says remove the plank and so you can assist someone with the speck. It says... Seek reconciliation. Let there be restoration there. But don't start going at someone else. First, look at yourself. What are you talking about, Brady? Could it be that you could confess and say, you know what, I've been unrealistic in what I've been expecting of you. You know, this idea that 
others offend us. You know, you can control the level of offense that you have by what you expect. And you know, the reverse is true as well. Sometimes we understand this and, and we don't expect it from others, but we begin to think that we should be able to care for everybody else's needs. Friend, there are needs you have that I'll never be able to meet. And not because I don't care for you, but because I care for you, I've resigned to the fact that I may let you down, but God won't let you down. If you try to substitute me, your dad, your mom, your children, your brother, your sister, to meet the needs that you have that only God can meet, you will be discouraged, defeated, upset, angry, and the little crack will grow into a fracture. It will cost you a lot. It can end in catastrophe. But God wants to help us and restore this. And until we own up to what is our part of the conflict, we will miss it. Could you and I confess and say, you know what, I've been oversensitive in this situation. Could we confess that I've been ungrateful lately and I should have had an attitude of gratitude? Or could we confess that, that you or I have been too demanding? Could we say, I'm sorry. I was wrong. I know it's hard to say, but today your homework is I want you to go home. I want you to open up the closet where you put your coats in your house. Stand in there so no one like thinks you're weird and, and just practice. I'm sorry. I was wrong. No one has to hear you yet. We need to get used to saying this because we get this idea that, well, if, if I'm a good Christian person or if, if I'm really who I am, I should never have to say I'm sorry. What's that phrase love means? I never happen to say I'm sorry. That's dumb. That's not love. That's something else. God wants us to be in the process of reconciliation because when we humble ourselves, when we submit to God and we submit to each other, He does something in us. See, there's this idea sometimes that somehow a relationship, it just won't work. We begin to look at marriage relationships and we just begin to have an excuse and say we're just incompatible. The number one excuse for divorce today is that we're just not compatible. It won't work because we're not compatible. This is a myth. There is no such thing as two people just being incompatible alone. There's no real crisis that we're not compatible. The real problem is we're just stubborn. The real problem is we're just selfish. The real problem is that we're just so self-centered, focused on ourselves that I'm not willing to say, this was my part and I want to own up to it. Here's what happened and and I'm sorry. The real problem is that we won't grow up and own up to our part. We say to ourselves, it, it just wasn't meant to be. Yet the truth of the matter is that you and I, it's not that we're not compatible. You and I are too proud to submit to God and to submit to one another. What I'm saying is this. I believe more marriages die from inflexibility than from adultery. And hear me, I'm not going light on adultery. This is a deadly threat to the marriage covenant. But what I'm saying is our rigid commitment to our pride in our own way will destroy what God has intended to bond us together when we submit to one another in Him. Before honor, the Bible says, comes humility. Before God honors the relationship, you need to start, I need to start with humility. Confess your part. Now, for some of us, it's not the 1%. You have the 
You may think it's the 1%. You may think, well, I'm the one with the speck. You're the one with the plank. But in all reality, we need God to give us a different picture and see that there is a grievance that we need to confess. Friend, until you and I own up to the sinful act in our life, we cannot see any of the fractures healed. Don't kid yourself. God sees it. If you don't ignore the fracture, if you ignore the fracture, it will grow. You don't have to acknowledge it. It will still grow. It will get bigger and bigger. Fourth, you and I must listen to the hurt of the relationship with the one that we want to see restored. Don't just listen for the problem. Don't just listen for the issue. Don't just listen for the facts to prove your agenda. Listen for their hurt. This is a principle that's true in in all relationships. When you want to connect with people, start with their hurt, with what their needs are, what their interests, not your own agenda. You need to stop and listen to what's beneath the surface. When people get angry, you start to resent it and you push back. But when people share their hurt, something happens. You can be compassionate and move towards them. James 1.19 says, Be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. We've got to understand where people are coming from because when we see what they feel with their perception, whether it's right or not, it can help us to be graceful to them. When you understand their background, when you understand what they've gone through, when you understand the put-downs that they felt that they've received, we can be gracious the way Jesus is gracious to us. It all starts with this understanding. If we would embrace James 1.19, you could save thousands of dollars in counseling. Listen to the hurts of those around you. I'm not putting down Christian counseling. We need it in many situations. It is a godsend, but friend, it's not a substitute for shutting your mouth and listen. Number five, I must be willing, you must be willing to absorb the pain like Jesus. This is the mark of, of real Christian maturity. It's often the most difficult part of reconciliation, but being a, a one who absorbs the pain like Jesus is this. Jesus Christ did exactly this for us. While you and I were still thumbing our nose at God, having our own way, the the death of Jesus on the cross came to us, sought after us, before we ever sought after Him. Friend, when you accepted Christ as your Savior, you didn't do Him a favor. You didn't help Him out with the whole religion thing. He came and ran to you while you were running from Him. He absorbed the pain on the cross for you before He had any guarantee that you would receive what it is He did for you. You and I often are in situations where we are called to be Christ-like and we just take it for Jesus. We just absorb it. Now, I'm not making a case that you have to stay in physical abuse or in danger of of some kind of deadly abuse like that, but I am saying, friend, sometimes when we take on the attitude of Jesus, I relinquish my right to get even. I relinquish my right to try to make you rub your face in what happened and I just take it and I absorb the pain the way Jesus did. Reconciliation comes when we take on the attitude of Christ. Romans 5, 6. You see, at the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Romans 5, 10. We, are God, we were God's enemies, but we were reconciled to Him through the death of His Son. When you and I absorb the relationship, let the pain sink in, and we just take it for Jesus, we become more like Him. Here's the point. Whatever you want from God, whatever you want God to do in your life, you've got to be willing to let God help you do that for others. 
You want forgiveness, you need to be willing to let God help you forgive others. You want wholeness and healing, you've got to let God help you give wholeness and healing to others. Six, I must seek reconciliation over resolution. Here's what I mean by that. Reconciliation focuses on reestablishing the relationship. That's what reconciliation is about. It puts the relationship first and says, I want to open up that relationship, but yet resolution is focused on resolving every issue. So if, if my goal in talking with my family member, my, my spouse, my parents, my kids, my extended family member, I want to set the record straight. I want to get this issue resolved. You may have some limited success, but it won't be reconciliation. You're not after restoring a relationship. You're after setting the record straight. But when you seek reconciliation, you lift up the relationship. And here's what happens. Often when we lift up the relationship and we try to restore the relationship, those issues pale in comparison to the value of that relationship. And it helps those get resolved much, much quicker. You see, you and I are going to discover that we're not always going to agree on everything, especially with those in our house. Those who have been married for longer than 10 minutes understand that you and your spouse won't agree on everything. But you can disagree and not be disagreeable. That's wisdom. You can have unity without having uniformity. You can walk hand in hand without always seeing eye to eye. You can have reconciliation of a relationship without resolving every single issue that will come in time potentially. It may not come on this side of eternity, but God wants the relationships to be pursued, to be restored. When you focus on those relationships, there's a blessing for all involved. And finally today... You and I must pursue reconciliation for the sake of the next generation. When we understand what's at stake here, this small little crack that leads to a fracture that grows over time, left unattended, will be very costly and could lead to a catastrophic casualty. It doesn't just affect you. I know it's a silly illustration, but sometimes it helps me. I thought to that police officer, really? My windshield, leave me alone. I'm the one who's going to have to pay for this. But the wisdom by others said, no, this is a situation, if it's not dealt with, it would not only bring harm to you, but you could inadvertently bring harm to others. If you do not deal with the fractured relationships in your family, sir, ma'am, you are passing on a guarantee for fractured relationships for future generations. The ones that watch you, the ones that are your kids in your home, your nieces, your nephews, they need to see what it looks like for a Christian man or woman to lift up the calling, the ministry of reconciliation. Where are our children going to learn what it looks like to say, I'm sorry, I value you more than me being right or you being right? How are our children going to act in the midst of strained and fractured and broken relationships? Our world will give them many, 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 many opportunities to do it different than God's way. Where are they going to learn to do it God's way? I would argue that God wants us to seek reconciliation. To put us in a position where he can bring healing physically, emotionally, and spiritually. We're going to touch on that next week. But as we close today, I I leave you with this question. Who do you need to reconcile with? We're good. We don't have any problems. I would argue that it may or may not even be your fault. Through the 
circumstances of life, there will be situations that come with the perfect storm that there will appear a little bit of a chip, a little crack. Don't be so proud to say, well, there is nothing that I need to reconcile with a relationship with someone. Lay it down. In fact, Jesus says, I don't want you to strive to bat a thousand. I want you to strive to always need me to help you make every relationship right. Because in this process of seeking reconciliation with others, we are modeling not only what a Christian family looks like, not only modeling what a husband and wife should look like, not only modeling what it means to parent children in a godly way or to honor mom and dad in a godly way, we model what it means to be alive. Great is the grace that I have received. And so out of that great grace, great is my response to you. God can do something miraculous in that. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the truth that you've given to us today in your word. And and Lord, I lift up my brother or sister today who right from the get-go, what caught their attention is the fact that there may be an area in their life where they have not allowed you to be God they haven't recognized that there are places that they they can't do in their own strength and so God I pray that you would allow them to put you first I pray for my brother or sister today who they've been stuck in this pattern of of pain in a relationship or the fracture in their family by saying it's not my my fault I'm not going to start by saying I'm sorry I'm not the leader in this situation it's not my role or I am the leader and they've not listened to me I'm not going to do it again God Give us the initiative to seek reconciliation regardless of anything else. God, would you call us to seek reconciliation beyond what we expect? God, in our humanness, we expect them to receive us a certain way or to respond a certain way. God, even when we don't see it happening the way we want, we choose to trust you. God, would you work through that process of us attempting to restore the relationship? Would you do a miracle in us? God, I pray that you would give us a wake-up call today. Show us the plank that is in our own eye where we blame anyone and everyone else except ourselves. God, could we confess before you today? God, stir us there. Lord, I pray for a brother or sister who they are so wrapped up today and trying to get their needs met by someone else in this room. Would you remind them that they will always be disappointed if they don't look to you? I pray for freedom for a a, a husband or a wife today who is constantly trying to meet everybody else's needs out of themselves. God, I pray that they will have peace and relinquish the fact that only you can meet their need. Let us reflect you, Jesus, but let us rest in the fact that you are the one to meet every need for them, not us. God, I pray that you'll help my brother or sister who needs a wake-up call today to recognize that these small little chips and cracks can lead to a much greater issue. Would you teach us to be humble today? Teach us to be people that submit to you and mutually submit to one another. And teach us to be uh, people who receive reconciliation from you and pass it on in the ministry of restoring relationships. I ask these things in the powerful name of Jesus. I ask that you give us boldness to do our part, Father, so in the days to come here in the next week, we may be in a position for you to do a supernatural act and bring healing physically, emotionally, and spiritually to things that the enemy has plans to 
bring a divide for generations to come. I thank you, God, for what you're doing right now in our midst. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. As you take off today, I give you a challenge. In the next number of days, many of you will gather around tables with family at Thanksgiving, some with china, some with styrofoam plates and paper plates around TV trays. I'm not sure how you do it. Some will be with a large group of people whom you love. Others will be with a large group of people that loathe each other. Some will be by themselves, remembering good days of Thanksgiving's past. Others will be by themselves, and the pain will be compounded by a lack of memory of something positive in family. No matter what your situation is, I challenge you to take these principles and find ways to put them into practice. Could you be a pursuer of restoring relationships this Thanksgiving? It's going to be better than the pumpkin pie. It's going to be better than the football game. It's going to be better than the tradition. Well, I don't know if they'll receive it. It's not about if they receive it. And I want you to prayerfully be expecting what God wants to do in our midst as we do our part. I believe He has healing for many of us in this room and for many of us who are represented in this room by people who need God's grace physically, emotionally, and spiritually. God bless you. You're dismissed. Go love on some people you're related to. God bless you.